Now, I want to switch gears and discuss these topics with our guest, Dr. Andrea Barno-Brownley. Dr. Brownley is an art historian, curator, writer, and, at the time of this interview, the director of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. She has recently announced her appointment as the George and Kathleen Gibbs Director and CEO of the Kummer Museum of Art and Garden in Jacksonville, Florida. Dr. Brownley, or Dr. B, as I and so many other students affectionately call her, has served as the Spelman Museum of Arts Director for two decades. During her tenure, she's brought world-class exhibitions to our campus, hosted insightful conversations with the field's top minds and, and makers, promoted the interdepartmental study of art, founded the Innovative Curatorial Studies Program that has since grown into the AUC Art History and Curatorial Studies Collective, and somehow she managed to be a refuge, a mentor, a friend, and a resource to countless students. In light of this news, this conversation is even more precious, and I'm excited to share it with you. So I want to begin uh, by asking you a few questions. We just introduced you to everyone, uh, but just in case they weren't aware already, you are an alumna of Spelman College. Um, And so the conversation that we just had was kind of centering our experience as Spelman students and Spelman students interested in making art and also interested in art broadly. So I'm really curious to know what the art scene in the AUC looked like while you were a student at Spelman? Oh my goodness, it was very, very different than it is now. Um, The exciting thing was that students were just as excited about forming organizations and about finding creative ways to exhibit and show and discuss their works. So I remember there was this collective, I want to say it was called the Dark Tower Project, And there were opportunities to connect and to have salon-style conversations, especially on the weekends and after hours. And it was very, very um, informed, and it wanted to revitalize the Harlem Renaissance. And there were so many things that were very exciting and dynamic about it. In addition to that, there were opportunities through the campus literary magazine, which at that time was called Focus, Mm -hmm. and people that were interested in drawing could certainly submit their works that way. I mean, there were so many different opportunities and and ways that were, I would describe as sort of grassroots, you know, very, Mm -hmm. very grassroots in their approach. There was certainly um, no museum. There was no museum on campus. And so the visual art scene in terms of exhibiting um, sort of, I would describe it as finished exhibitions mm-hmm. were in dorms and they were in various academic halls. And so it was very, very different because there was no place, no central place that was really the repository for the permanent collection, nor was there one central place for exhibiting work. So it was a very, very different time to say the least. Absolutely, to say the least. Right, but such an amazing time. Uh, And I would say that's something that I definitely missed. Um, And it could be because of access or knowledge about it, but really um, grassroots efforts by students or efforts supported by students to really... um, to, to create art and to show it. I think the showing of it is really uh, what makes that time so special. Because I think other than the student art show, um, Art After Dark, 
and I I think I want to say there's like a handful of other like arts-based programs and events that happened while I was at Spelman but other than those I really didn't discover anything like that and so my my experience of the arts is very much centered at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art um, which you just said wasn't present when you were a student so could you talk about the founding of the museum when and why was it founded? Sure, absolutely. I always love telling this story because I feel like I was at this moment where I bridge the pre and post museum and Cosby Academic Center uh, space and time and phase. So when I was a junior, which was um, 1991, the college broke ground. Mm-hmm on the Camille Olivia Hanks Cosby EDD Academic Center. And of course, the museum is on the first floor of that building. And at that moment, we weren't quite sure, you know, what to expect. There was an amazing groundbreaking and everyone got a construction hat and everyone came and it was just this amazing celebration of promise and, you know, Jeanetta Cole, of course, was the president at the time. And so Dr. Cole was very much and continues to be very much involved in the arts. And so we knew that the building would have a museum, but we certainly weren't sure, you know, what that would really look like, what that shape would eventually look like. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very exciting time. So I should also say that I did my junior year abroad. And so when... I came back and there was this huge footprint. I mean, before the Cosby Center was there, there was a a guest house. And that guest house is where dignitaries that were coming to campus would stay. And there were a few offices that were for international exchange faculty members. I mean, it was a very, very different footprint than what you see now. Mm -hmm. Never in a million years did we imagine this huge structure was going to be in that place. But I share all that with you to say that it was a time that was filled with promise. It was a time that was filled with extraordinary expectation. Faculty were involved and of course, again, I was a student, but faculty were involved in the evolution of what not just the building in general would be, but also with what the museum specifically would be. So I described that moment as something that was quite magical. Mm -hmm. We simply did not know what it was going to be. So when the museum was established in 1996, so when the building opened, it was another moment whereby it was an exciting time for the city. We, of course, were hosting the Olympics in Atlanta, and there were all these building projects that were around, and there were so many uh, just buildings and exciting things that were happening. It was a time of great fervor. So many things happening simultaneously, not only in the Atlanta University Center, but also at Georgia Tech and in the Wounded Arts Center. I mean, there were so many things that were happening. So of course, by then I had graduated. And so I was observing all of these things from afar. And so when the museum was founded, of course, I came back for the ribbon cutting. Mm -hmm. And I remember it like yesterday, I definitely remember it like yesterday, and people had an opportunity to tour all of the floors of the Cosby Academic Center. I mean, so there were so many things that were very, very clear about this particular moment. It was a game changer. 
you know, it's truly, truly a game changer. And you see, I talk really quickly because I get very excited about these things. <laughs> I remember it like yesterday. Yeah. So um, the other reason was, was, was frankly, you know, the, the donors had a, a real passion for visual art as, you know, did the then president. So when you ask sort of when and why was it founded, it was a moment that was filled with, with just exceptional promise and excitement. Wow, that is so amazing. And I think kind of echoes um, the sentiment for the Center for the Innovation and in, in Arts that's been planned and um, presented to the Spelman student body. The way that you're describing how you feel about, uh, how you felt about the Cosby Center is very much how I think and feel about this building. And so it's so wonderful to see this parallels, you know, so much time later and I just wow I'm honestly speechless at how amazing and beautiful that is. So we just finished talking about the amazing uh, story and, and experience that you had as a Spelman student um, and as a Spelman alumna kind of watching the uh, the foundation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art inside of the Cosby Academic Building. Um, and so I guess I'm really interested in knowing, so once the museum is established, it's founded, what did it look like? Can you talk about, um, I guess, what the mission was of the museum at its founding and what, and how it's kind of transformed into what it is today or if it's always been the same? Sure. Well, certainly the mission of the museum has always been to focus on art by women of the African diaspora. And oftentimes, you know, we continue to use different names for Black people. That's not anything new. But at the time, it was squarely African-American women artists. The diaspora was not a conversation. Um, you know, certainly the term people of color was not a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. It was very, very squarely focused on African-American art. That was by design and very deliberate from the beginning. The other thing that was very deliberate from the beginning is the real focus on the permanent collection, finding ways to remix it and to present it differently and to have rich discussions about it, to bring other objects in conversation with it, mm -hmm. and to sort of alternate those with exhibitions that were either traveling or original exhibitions that were at that point uh, curated more by faculty. It was a very interesting and challenging way to go about it. And I think the reason that stopped is because they're using very, very different skill sets and different sides of the brain, if you will. In other words, mm -hmm. faculty members taking time away from 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 teaching, it's a very, very different experience, which is why thinking about curatorial studies, which I'm sure we'll get to later, was mm -hmm. such an interesting and important and valuable, you know, thing to think about for the Atlanta University Center. So in other words, teaching and being a museum professional are just very different experiences and require different skill sets. So the fact that we now have one, or beginning in 1996, we had one, 
it was a very exciting prospect for us to think about and to work through and to think through. So I always mm-hmm. give my hats off to Akua McDaniel because Dr. McDaniel, as you know, for a long while, she was the chair of what was then called the art department. And she also held, you know, the seat warm and the seat down for the museum in terms of being yeah. the first director. And so I'm not, I always marvel at how she managed to do both with such grace, but um, it was a very different moment with a very different model, which frankly was not sustainable, which is why mm-hmm. the changes were made, but it was nonetheless a very exciting and very vibrant time. And again, I had already graduated by that time, but certainly being in touch with faculty on a regular basis and visiting Atlanta somewhat frequently really kept apprised of what was happening in terms of the evolution of the museum. That's so wonderful. And I think one of the most um, amazing, I guess, parts or functions or, or one of the most amazing things about the museum is where it's grounded and that it is, in fact, a college museum um, or a museum that's on a college campus. And I find that those institutions, that there's a real um, that there's a real um, effort and connection to academic study. Um, but would you mind describing, I suppose, the purpose of college museums and how they differ from freestanding institutions like the High Museum of Art or the Metropolitan Museum of Art or any other um, institutions that folks might be uh, more uh, more aware of? I always love talking about this because there will always be a special place in my heart for academic museums, colleges and universities that have the extraordinary privilege of having such institutions right on their home campus and right in their in their midst are, are truly sitting on, on gold mines. When you have an institution on a college campus that is by design created to expand the academic curriculum and to ignite interest and excitability in students that are typically between the ages of you know, 18 and 25, somewhere in that range, a mm-hmm. moment that is so essential and so pivotal in their evolution and thinking about really soaring into, I would describe a sort of independent adulthood, if you will. Those years are so critical. So when you have an opportunity on a campus to infuse interdisciplinarity and lifelong learning and thinking about everything from beauty to challenging questions, which is really what art gets you grounded in, really, really thinking about these very, very difficult questions and sometimes just to contemplate their sacred spaces where I, where I sit. These museums are really, really important, and they should be always considered as part of the ground, the the grounding of an institution, the real fundamental grounding of an institution, because they serve disciplines across the campus, not just one. And so that's what makes them so special. They're rooted in interdisciplinarity, and by nature of their size, they thrive off of partnerships. And collaboration, so they're very, very special places. And I really couldn't agree more. And I think a, a part of um, my 
my, my love affair and my great appreciation of of the Museum on Spelman's College kind of that began, I think, in the classroom. I love telling the story about how I discovered the uh, inter- the, the curatorial studies program um, and because <laughs> I just think it's so wonderful and hilarious. Um, but, but, it, but it happened in the museum and I was there in part to fulfill an academic requirement. Uh, there's the infamous museum audio narrative project that so many Spelmanites have um, experienced as a part of the African diaspora in the world course requirement. Um, and it's an assignment that asks you to go to the museum more than once on several occasions using a very particular uh, method of looking uh, and, and experiencing called the Ache method. And um, on these, on these, like you know, subsequent these, these, these various trips to the museum, you you get this really amazing um, understanding of 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 an exhibition, and so I also happen to get a really good understanding and introduction into a, a program and the exhibition on this particular visit, and so I remember seeing uh, one of my best friends sitting in a class uh, in the middle of the museum. You all were literally in the middle of the museum with chairs sitting in a circle and having a conversation about how to activate uh, how to activate the space. And I think it was, uh, I think you all were talking specifically about this, this smaller room within the museum itself that often had like video and other kind of kinds of digital media there. Um, and I just come back home and remembered something that I saw at the Dali Museum and texted this friend and she shared it with your class. And the next thing I know, I think it was you, uh, you were like, well, where is this friend? Tell them to come here. <laughs> Tell them to come into the circle. And so I did. And the next thing you know, we're sitting and we're talking about all of these amazing, um, things related to our history, related to curatorial uh, practice. Um, and I just, I just was so in love and, and bothered Naomi about the class and learning more about it and, and about you all and about this work. And before I knew it, I was fully in the, in, in the program. And so I think it's, it's so amazing. You know, we, we got the chance to go to DC and that was my I think that was one of my first times visiting DC and I'd never visited in that way before, you know, going to art museums and speaking with top scholars and collectors um, and curators was, was phenomenal. And I think it really gave me um, uh, a confidence and an awareness of what this field looks like. And it, and it all is because of the museum and because of its tie to uh to, to Spelman academically, but also as this living, breathing member of Spelman's community, which makes me think a lot about your the decision for the exhibitions that you bring in. So all of the exhibitions are centered on artwork by and or about women of the African diaspora, and that is such an incredible mission and, and such an incredible presentation of artwork. Um, and so I'm curious to know if you could explain more about the, the process behind deciding which artist you want to bring and also about what happens to the campus, but also what happens to the art world once you bring an artist to campus to, to, to have an exhibition at the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. Sure. Well, that's a really multi-layered question that I always love talking about and unpacking. Um, just to go back for a moment, you mentioned the African Diaspora in the World program, the assignment that every first-year student gets. And one of the reasons 
a lot of us are so sort of just traumatized by this COVID age that we're in Mm -hmm. is that Mm -hmm. things like this can't happen. You know, things like this incredible ADW assignment can't happen in the current, you know, state that we're in. But I bring that up because so many students talk about that particular assignment and you know when you're on to something, when you can reflect back on it years later. And let me tell you what I mean by that. There's nothing more gratifying than when you have two seniors in the museum that are talking with, say, two juniors and three sophomores. And they're in there fighting about which exhibition was the best (laughs) exhibition. And they're duking it out based on what they experienced in their ADW class. And they're, they're saying, no, Deborah Roberts was the most important show. No, it was Africa Forecast. And they're literally unpacking things that they haven't seen in a few years. And so you know you have something that sticks and that's something that's interdisciplinary because none of them are the same major. So it's a very exciting moment to look back. and It's a very rewarding moment to look back. So the other thing that I'm glad you mentioned is how you sort of got engaged with the museum, because one of the things that we do by treating it as a classroom in many instances and inviting faculty to hold, you know, sessions in there is that we invite people who might just be walking around to join the conversation. And you just happen to be one of those people and got invited to to join (laughs) in. And so these things stick. Now, certainly it happens more with students than it does with members of the general public because it's typically like a fleeting thing that happens. But whenever that type of experience takes place, it's transformative. It transforms the class that was there. It transforms the person who decided to to join the conversation. So it is just a um, a really, really special place that if you allow college and university museums to be broad and to be rooted in partnership has all sorts of dividends. It's a very, very exciting place. So I wanted to just park on that for a moment. But in terms of decisions that are made, we take a long look at the academic curriculum that's coming up, the syllabi that are being circulated, the courses that are being taught, because we want to make sure that we are bringing something that is first and foremost going to expand and complement the course offerings. Something else that we're very passionate about is making certain that we're bringing something new to the campus, new to the city, to the region, et cetera. So we try really, really hard not to bring projects or bring artists that were there recently and i i try really hard to bring people to atlanta for the first time because i think our our students deserve it i think our campus community deserves it and so it's very much rooted in those sorts of deliberate things so when we bring things to a group of you know faculty considants and and committees that we're thinking about and thinking through we want to make sure that we're bringing something new that is going to hopefully make the course offerings sing and expand and and be uh, just just engaged in different ways. The other thing I feel very strongly about is mixing it up. It's very rare that you'll see us do 
four solo shows back to back or, you know, two group shows back to back. You know, we try really hard to mix things up. And I always say, we've got to keep people guessing, got to keep, keep people guessing. And so these are very, very <laughs> real and deliberate strategies that we put into part, into play in collaboration with our partners. But first and foremost, it's one of those things that we try really, really hard to think about what's coming down the pike in terms of the academic curriculum. So those are some of the strategies that we, we put in the place, into place and the tactics that we, we use to go about it. Right. And I think that you all are really great at keeping people guessing um, because everyone, you know, wherever I go is always asking, what's coming up at the museum next? What's going on? <laughs> what's going on? What are they doing now? And it's like, I really don't have an answer. And it really could be anyone. Um, I think part of the really special magic that we have as a as, a, as an institution, it's so phenomenal um, being able to, to see this wide range of artists, as you said, um, and, and also being able to engage with them personally. Could you talk more about the efforts by um, you, uh, also by Selman at General, and also perhaps by the AUC Art Collective for the Study of Art History and Curatorial Studies, about um, making sure that students have the opportunity to really engage with the artists and the scholars that are um, either experts in the field or that are in the, the museum as the, the artists that are being shown in the museum? Sure, sure. Well, I'll say that, you know, one of the, the, the key ingredients for me, when we started having the conversations about piloting a project that was specifically focused on curatorial studies, you know, very, very deliberate, very, very tightly focused on curatorial studies, one of my objectives was to build a program that I would have wanted to have when I was. So certainly we worked collaboratively with what was then the Department of Art, and we had some external stakeholders, and we came together as, you know, faculty and staff leaders to make this thing happen and to make it gel. But everybody was clear from where I sat that I was really committed to creating a program that didn't exist when I was a student. Curatorial studies was looked at as a very sort of informal approach. And I wanna be very, very clear when I say that mentoring has always been a strong component of the program at Spelman, yes. but the opportunity mm -hmm. to formalize it and to work in collaboration with other colleagues to make it sing and to make it soar was a real privilege, you know, it was a real, real privilege to, to pilot, pilot it in that regard and formalize and make things official that we had already been doing, but take it to another level, which I think is what we always have to be focused on, you know, taking things to another level. So um, the second part of your, your, your question is, is really something that's really sort of near and dear to my heart, because I think it's important that we introduce students to a variety of museum professionals and arts professionals, not just museum professionals, but arts professionals who are at different phases of their career. You know, introducing you and, and Kayla, for example, to Ashley Smith, who was then at Duke, 
you know. That mm-hmm. was something that was really important. She is in a very similar scenario as you in terms of thinking about finishing her undergraduate career, contemplating a museum career, thinking about graduate programs, et cetera. But at the same time, making sure that you have meaningful opportunities in front of somebody like a Lowry Stokes Sims or, or somebody that's sort of mid-career. You know? So, yeah. so I, I say all of that to say that making sure that you all have access to the gamut of people that make this field go around is a very deliberate strategy. And so what creating the collective has allowed Spelman to do for the entire Atlanta University Center is come together and just maximize and completely explode that model. I hope that makes sense because the number of people that are now um, in front of you all and the number of people that you all are in front of mm-hmm. is like no other, you know, it's, it's frequent, it's often, and it's quite amazing. And I, and I hope that as you go through the program, and I don't mean you specifically destiny, but as one goes through the, the program that they truly, truly have a sense of where they fall in history. And that's a hard thing to do while you're in it, you know, really sort of, thinking about it in this way while you're in it. But this is going to come very second nature to you all. Oh, this is the way it's always been. But it's not the case. This is something that has really, really been built through a lot of hard work, foundation building, and now it's time to really um, just reap the benefits of those things through vision, through time, through the entire collective staff. I mean, it's just a really special moment that I, I hope that at some point you all just really pinch yourselves and, and, and know how valuable it is and what a game changer it truly is. So it's a long answer to your, your, your question, but uh, it is very, very real and very deliberate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's such a great answer and such a, an inspiring one as well. Um, I I found that, you know, just engaging with other art history students across the country um, and even within Atlanta, so at schools outside of the AUC, like at Emory or Georgia State, that that I'm constantly reminded about how particular um, and special, 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 special this is. And I'm so grateful to you, especially for all the work that you've done to present an opportunity and a program like this to me and to the other students who have experienced it before me and the many, many students who are going to experience it after I am long gone. Um, right. It's my pleasure. And the bottom line is that you all deserve it. You know, that's the bottom line. You all deserve it. The field has been very um, exclusive and has shut out a lot of, of people to its detriment. And in order for the field to remain relevant, there had to be a change. They truly, truly, you know, there there has to be a change. And why not Spelman? Why not the Atlanta University Center? Of course, what better place, you know, than the Atlanta University Center to launch such a program? Or to just start thinking about it in a pilot way. And I'd be really remiss if I didn't mention that partners allowed that to happen. The Mellon Foundation, I can't say enough about the Mellon Foundation because 
one thing that I shared with them on behalf of the committee was, look, we will take this modest grant and turn it into maximum potential. Just take a chance on us. And they were like, absolutely. You know, the Mellon mm-hmm. Foundation had a, has a long history with Spelman. And the grant that we had was very deliberate. It was based on some key pillars ranging from coursework and to you know, making sure that you all met different people in the field and that you had paid summer internships. So it was very, very deliberate. But again, I can't say enough about the Mellon Foundation and its, its willingness to support this effort, which was very grassroots and mm-hmm. um, very, very, very thoughtful, thoughtfully designed and carefully considered. So the Mellon yeah. Foundation always gets high praise. <laughs> yes, I'm also a Mellon fan. <laughs> thank you, Mellon Foundation. For Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to go back to something that you said. Um, okay. When you, were talk- when you were talking about expanding this program and taking it to be um, open to the entire Atlanta University Youth Center. And also, this 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 frame statement of why why not some and why not the AUC. I think that that um, to me is sort of in, inherently tied to the very long history of the arts in the AUC. I'm thinking really particularly though about the Atlanta Annuals and about mm-hmm. the work of Hill Woodruff um, and several other people, but but especially Hill Woodruff and his efforts to really center the Atlanta University Center then at, at Atlanta University um, as sort of this, this center for, for studying, creating, and exhibiting art. And so I guess I'm just, I'm just curious to know, uh, what about that history do you find inspiring, um, especially because you are now, you're now doing that work as well, you and also Dr. Marita Poole, who is the director of the Clark Atlanta University Art Museum, which is, which is where most of the um, uh, artworks that were, uh, that were kind of uh, exhibited, but also acquired from their annuals exist. So can you, can you talk about that, please? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I love talking about the Atlanta annuals because they're rooted in a very conscientious, deliberate strategy to make certain that works by African-American artists were not only seen by an excited public, but also acquired. The model of the purchase prize, which is really the foundation of the Atlanta Annual, was really brilliant. I mean, at that point, um, I don't don't know equipment on the exact amount, but if let's just say the first prize was say two hundred and fifty dollars, you have the opportunity to get a purchase prize. You, the institution Atlanta University at that time, judges this incredible number and and, and, and series of entries, and the purchase prizes. First through fourth prizes, for example, are all given awards. Those artists are all given awards. And those works enter that collection. So over time, you can imagine if you are acquiring three works a year, five works a year, over time, compounded, what an incredible, incredible collection. Because remember, Mm -hmm. this is when, this is long before 
larger metropolitan, I would describe as mainstream museums, were acquiring works for African-American artists in mass. Now, I use in mass with with a a, a grain of salt, so I don't really mean in mass because there's still a long way to go, so don't, don't get me wrong, but not nearly to the numbers that they are now. I say all this to say that here Hale Woodruff was, this incredible visionary, who said, we're going to start this purchase prize. We're going to attract entries from the most exceptional, incredible artists working at the time who really deserve a place to show their works and have it discussed on a regular basis. Now, this was the place to be. The Atlanta University annuals, when these works were on view, this was the place to be. The community, mm-hmm. I mean plural, communities came out to see this work. So you ask about his strategy. It was bold. It was about taking chances. It was about showing up in places where perhaps you weren't. Oh, no, Dr. B, you've cut out for a me. that the Atlanta University annuals were exceptional and they were visionary. Yes. (laughs) And I think um, that that's a history that that, um, perhaps, I know that myself as an art history student, of course, that I'm very well aware of, but I wonder um, about about the average Spelman student or the average AUC student. And I also think about... um, the other uh, cultural institutions and arts institutions around the city and whether or not uh, whether or not they're aware. And so I guess that's another question and conversation for another day and that maybe we ought to ask them directly uh, or take a poll because it's, it's really phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's really phenomenal. And, and when I think about what I've learned and what I've been taught, it's often that um, when those mainstream museums, as you as you stated, did come looking for the work of the artist who we know as like you know the the the, the top tier of African American artists and makers, especially from the twentieth century, they they came to HBCUs. They came knocking on their doors because we're the institutions that have been collecting them. Um, so I'm also curious to know if you could talk about any other HBCUs um, outside of the AUC, I suppose, that uh, have collected work. I think especially about um, Howard University, but also, but also Fisk University and Talladega College. So are there any that come to mind or any that you'd like to share with everyone? Oh, sure. The ones that you named are certainly stellar. I mean, the most incredible opportunities come. We have the chance to just spend quiet time in those institutions. Um, you didn't mention Hampton, which is another one that is just top of mind. What's so interesting about those other institutions is how much earlier they were established in Selman's Museum. Mm. So when you look at those holdings, I mean, the fact that Howard University has for free, Nancy and Monia Lewis in their permanent collection is just so extraordinary to think about. I mean, truly, truly extraordinary to think about. So, I mean, I, I could sing the, the phrases of HBCUs all day because, you know, I've been, been working on this, 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 this piece that when other people weren't looking, this is what HBCUs were doing, mm-hmm. right? This is what HBCUs were doing. And so, I, I simply can't say enough about the hard work 
of the Museum at Selman in 1996 to so many others that were founded, you know, <laughs> decades before we were. I mean, we stand on broad shoulders. We stand on really, really broad shoulders. And I laugh because I think that people get tired of me beating the legacy drum, which I do with great pride because it, it rarely starts with you, right? It always started by somebody who came before you, somebody who was very much um, in the trenches, sometimes before you were even born. And so Mm -hmm. when I think about Porter, for example, or I mean, just so many, so many incredible stories of making certain that art and culture was uh, front and center. Lord knows they could have been doing other things. There were other hardships and things that they could have been more focused on, more reliant upon, but at the end of the day, they were very, very focused on creativity. Um, this is something that really deserves more attention. The other thing that I, I, I think about often is the fact that for the most part, HBCUs are located in South, right? So. There are conversations about regional biases, mm-hmm. coastal biases that really have to be talked about. There's loads of things to talk about when you just sort of open up the in, in, incredible, incredible can of material that is HBCU museums. I, I simply can't say enough about them. They are important institutions that are under discussed and under recognized and um, have incredible holdings that are just now starting to come to the foreground. So, we need to watch, absolutely. Yes, and it's so wonderful to be able to see them, um, see them do that and to be a part of, hopefully, this generation of curators that do the work to really center them um, and, and then honor the, the work of folks like you and James A. Porter and Hill Woodruff and all of the many people that have come before doing this work. Um, and so speaking of the future, I'd, I'd really like to end with a question about it. So in the future, how can exhibitions be reimagined or reinvented to engage with the museum's audience? I know that um, for Spelman, of course, it's very particular because most of your audience is scattered across the country. Um, but 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 how how can exhibitions themselves be rethought or reimagined to really uh, still engage with people and still connect people with really wonderful art? I think right now, taking advantage of technology in new and creative ways has to come front and center. And I'll be the first to say that it's a bit of a daunting task. Right? It's a bit of a, a daunting task because mm-hmm. on one hand, you want to make sure that people find ways to not only engage with the work, but find strategies to tell stories that situate themselves within the work or be able to articulate why they don't see themselves in the work. In other words, it's really rooted in conversation. It's really rooted in some deep looking and you know how I feel about about deep looking and yes. <laughs> I'm a huge proponent of, of that but you know firsthand that, that that's a, a huge a huge um, focus of, of my work getting people to, to think differently and look differently so I'll be honest with you and say that on one hand I think that we've got to look at technology and access more aggressively we have to look at it more regularly and more aggressively 
at the same time, as somebody who really does believe in centering the objects and focusing on deep looking, that balance has to be there as well. I think that making sure that we continually put objects, place them in such a position to have deeper, richer conversations, I think is something that we have to really be diligent about. I also thinking about think through conservation on a regular basis because in many instances the materials that were used were designed to change. They were designed to change over time. And so these objects that are so dear to so many of us in many instances are going to break down differently. And so when mm-hmm. I think about how we engage audiences, we have to start to think more about the entire object, the, the life cycle of an object and protecting it and to make sure that people have different and strategic ways to engage with it. And also remember that in many instances, there are so many works in the permanent collection that can't all be seen at the same time. You know, we don't have the space to necessarily show every signature object in, in the collection at the same time. I am hard pressed to think of an HBCU that has the exhibition space to exhibit its entire collection at the same time. So finding new ways to think through um, access to storage, access to things that aren't on view is something that I think needs to be, be front and center. But I think the other biggest thing, frankly, is to make sure that we leave space and that we leave room for people who are coming through the ranks with new ideas, with new visions, with new energy, new possibilities, that we leave space for them. And that we make sure that there is indeed a seat at the table and that first and foremost, that we leave institutions better Well, I think that was a beautiful conclusion to our conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. B. So much. Oh, pleasure.